hearts, Lord. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's still Thanksgiving this week. It's a good time to talk about thankfulness, isn't it? Got a good excuse or a good reason if we need one. Not that we need a, re- need a reason. I guess that's probably the situation that we're in is because we sometimes we need a reason to be thankful. And we live in a society that everyone is making lists. Have you noticed that? You make a Christmas list. You make a New Year's list. You make a birthday list. And even now on the internet they have these wish lists that you can add for things that you might want. You could sit this little list for you on the, on the internet. But we never, ever seem to make a Thanksgiving list. Why is that? And that thing gets kind of strange, as many lists as we like to make. I guess it's because it's not something we get. It's something that we have to give. And that's why, and because we're so selfish as Americans, because we're so blessed that uh, we, we have a hard trouble giving. That's why the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. Now, that doesn't make any sense unless you're a Christian. And you've done that. Because I know that when you give things to something, just the joy that it causes. When you have kids, and they're grand, you know, and you're raising up and you give them gifts, and they get so excited about that. Man, that blesses you more than any gift that you could get. So God understands that. And that's why God overwhelms us with his blessing. Because he understands that. And he likes to see us get excited. And that's why he does all these things for us. But unfortunately, we have to set a day aside in order to do that and actually think about that. But... As we talked about this morning, the first people that started Thanksgiving wasn't blessed like we are. They were very underprivileged. They didn't have anything. They came here to a new world with hopes and dreams in a new area, and all they got, all they got was heartache. But it didn't discourage them because they had what we, all of us need to have. They didn't have no government agency to build houses for them. They didn't have no places to borrow money. They didn't have no transportation except for their feet to walk from point A to point B. That's a good lesson for our kids. Learn to walk. <laughs> they didn't have any phone telephones to call their loved ones back home and tell them how they were doing. They didn't have any of that stuff. All they got was heartache. Everything they had, they had to work for and to earn. If they wanted to eat, they had to go catch it in the ocean or they had to go hunt it in the, in the forest or they had to grow it. And that's why the first winter was so rough for them. They didn't really get a crop, full crop in. So it was kind of hard on them that first winter. And so instead of building houses, they were burying the people that, that spent all that time coming in over on the, on the ships with and got to know. And if you've ever been, I mean, even on a cruise, I mean, as, as luxurious as they are, you get to know people. They sit at your tables in the evening and you interact with people. So you get to know people pretty well. If you're on that cruise or on that ship for a long time, you get to know them. So these people, they come together, and, they, and the unity that they felt because they had one purpose and one goal in mind, going to a new world with freedom, not have to worry about a government telling you what church you can go to or what you can do and what you can't do. Man, that was exciting, and that's what kind of pushed them. But they didn't get any of those things. They had heartache and trouble and problems, and I've been there. Have you been there? <laughs> it seems like <laughs> nothing works right. Nothing's going on. Everything seems like you trust turns to garbage. You don't have that Midas touch unless you want garbage. I've got the Midas touch for garbage sometimes. And so we kind of get discouraged. And so oh, that's why they set aside Thanksgiving for us to, to remember those things that they went through. 
and the, I know the kids get tired of healing, hearing about it, and I got tired of hearing it when I was growing up, but I kind of passed it on. It's one of those generational things you pass on to your kids and tell you how rough you had it when you was growing up. Why, when I was your age, I walked to school five miles in the snow this deep, uphill, both ways. <laughs> and we pass those stories on to our kids. Because we embellish it as it gets, you know, it gets on, you know, further on. It get, we embellish it a lot to make them, make them think everything that we went through. So maybe they won't, uh, maybe they'll be a little more thankful for what they have. But the reality is they didn't have to make anything up. Their lives was not fun. And I would not like to have been a pilgrim back then. I would not like to have been an early settler. But they had four assets that made a difference. And those assets was, where I'm at here, I've just seen them. Initiative, courage, willingness to work, and faith in God. Those are all the kind of things that we want our kids to have. They're all the same things that the nation wants every one of its citizens, citizens to have. Initiative, to be able to start and do something without somebody watching you. To be able to go out and make your own way without somebody pushing you. Courage, to face the dangers of life and the unknown. Because they, they were in an unknown civilization regardless of how beautiful it may have been at that time. When winter hit, there's something about snow and cold that kind of ruins a, go, a, a good place to, to sit and be warm. But they, they had courage. to Instead of everything that was going on in their lives, they were going to make it through. And they have a willingness to work. Wow, what a lesson that would be. We got oh, so many people that come over here and they don't want to do anything. Right now, they say we got, what, 40% of the people don't pay taxes? I know that there's some people that need to, need to have help, and I'm all for helping people. The problem is sometimes they're helping the ones that don't need the help, and that's what I have a problem with. When, when illegals can get more help than their own people, I have a problem with that. I'm all for you know, helping people all we can, but when our own elderly people are struggling and our people that are having a rough time are barely getting by, and we're giving all this to other people. I don't understand that. That just baffles me. But they had a faith in God, too. And that's the only thing that this nation wants to get rid of. That's what they want to get rid of, is that faith in God. You can have all three of these other things. Hey, that's good. You do that. But do not have faith in God. Because we don't want that. That's not politically correct. Can't have that. But out of those are the things that you couldn't take out any one of those things from these people. If you took any of them away... This nation wouldn't be standing today because it completed everything that they needed to do. Without these things, they would have failed, and they would not be American today if any one of those things was missing. And God, faith in God was the glue that kept everything together. If you have faith in God, it gives you courage. If you have faith in God, you have a willingness to work. If you have a faith in God, you have initiative, and you have, have some kind of a, a wisdom or knowledge knowing how to do things you wouldn't know any other way. So we need all four of those, and they had all those, all those things. Thanksgiving Day, is there's something different about Thanksgiving. It isn't a memorial to any kind of a war. It doesn't commemorate a battle. It isn't anybody's birthday. It's a day set aside just specifically to say thanks. And not all just say thanks to anyone, it's thanks to God. This is what the day is set aside for us, for our nation and everyone in our nation to thank God that we have a nation, that we have all the freedoms that we have, that we have all the blessings that he's given us. And I thought it was kind of interesting because they, the Thanksgiving holiday was made 
by George Washington. He was our first president. And this was the proclamation that he made in 1789. It said, by the President of the United States of America, a proclamation, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress, both houses of Congress, woo, they had unity on something finally, have their joint committees requested me, they requested that he do this, to recommend to the United people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of the great and glorious being who is the benefactor, author of all good, that was, that is, and that will be. Wow. That's cool, isn't it? And who said this nation wasn't founded a Christian nation? Well, how'd that get in there? How'd that get in there? That'd go over like a lead balloon today. But that's why Thanksgiving is celebrated. And now it, uh, it, it's a contest on who can eat the most, how miserable you can be by eating so much, how many desserts you can eat, and still walk? <laughs> how long, how much football you can watch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it's turned into, but that isn't the why it was set up. And as we as Christians should be particularly aware of that, and particularly aware that it, our, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful for what God has done for us. And this morning I talked about the five things of thankfulness, five kernels of thankfulness that we need to have in each of our lives. Those are just five that, things that we should be thankful for. Everyone should be thankful for as Christians. But there's all kinds of things that we could be thankful for. Some people are thankful. You know, I'm thankful sometimes for a smoke detector because then I know when the turkey's done. <laughs> My husband used to say, when the smoke detector goes off, he knows it's dinner so he can come and eat, but then he has to eat it because it's hazardous waste and he can't throw it away. <laughs> so... See, he's an environment. He, he spent some a lot of years as an environmentalist, so that's kind of an inside story type thing. But uh, so we're thankful for different kinds of things. Dishwashers. I'm thankful for a car to be able to drive. I'm thankful for food on my table. I'm thankful for all kinds of things. My family, my friends, my church, the people that are faithful to come to God. I'm thankful for, for so many things that we just sit there and stop and think about it. And everything that we can think of that we're thankful for, if you track it back. It's connected to God. If it's something good, God gave it to us. And we should be thankful for it. And we should acknowledge God in it. And that's what the decree was about, to acknowledge God. To acknowledge that he's the one that gave us everything that we have. Every freedom that we possess, God gave us. God, America was God's idea, not man. And God is the one that supervised and helped America grow to where we are now. So as a nation, what do we do for God? We give him one day a year, holiday. And now they want to, you know, change it into something else. So it's up to us Christians to make sure that we, at least us, at least us Christians, or we Christians, proper English, do not forget that. Because like I said this morning, there's nothing worse than an ungrateful kid. I hate ungrateful kids. You do something for it, you work your, your tail off trying to give something for your kids, and they just psh, discard it like it's nothing. We live in an ungrateful society. 
So tonight I want to talk about the five Thanksgiving commands. And we look in uh, Psalms, the 100th chapter. These Psalms are good. If you ever, you know, kind of feel a little down or a little bit, just start reading some of, in the, some of these things in the Psalms because they'll pick you up in a hurry. And these used to be songs. They weren't, you know, they're Psalms because that means songs in the Hebrew. I don't know how you'd sing them. Sometimes I'll try to sing them, and I guess you could. They don't have to rhyme. Most of your Jewish songs don't rhyme. But they've got a special thing about Jewish music that's kind of, you know, kind of gets into you, so it's kind of good. But it isn't about the music specifically. It's about the words to those things. And it's the words is the things that we need to get into our heart, and we need to repeat them. So in Psalm, the 100th chapter, the first command of thanksgiving is verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. He didn't say, make a beautiful voice of song that looks like an opera singer or a, the, or a Carmen. You don't have to sound like Carmen. You don't have to sound like anybody. It just said, make a joyful noise. So that includes all of us. There's anybody here that can't make a joyful noise. It don't have to be on key or in pitch. doesn't matter. So we're commanded to make a joyful noise. But not just make a joyful noise like we're having a party or something. It's make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He's commanding us to make a joyful noise unto him. People who win money, win the lottery or something like that, man, you can't keep those people quiet. They're all over the place. They're jumping up and down. They have that what, deal or no deal or whatever it is. I don't know if you've ever caught that on TV. And, man, they get so excited at it over money. They jump up and down, make fools of themselves, and they don't care. In Vegas, if you go to ba- Vegas, they got all these bells and whistles and all kinds of things going off and slot machines that are, that are paying their, their 50 cents and the others are putting in more money or whatever. They want to make, make you happy. They want to make you joyful and put on a joyful sound so you'll put more money into the machine. And so they do that on purpose to, to get us to, to give more money to the, I, I call them insert coin machines, because that's all they are, just insert coins, you know, that little thing, insert coin, insert coin, insert coin. Of course, I don't do that anymore in, in the olden days. So they, they make a joyful noise over things of this world. But we as Christians have a lot more to be thankful for. We need to make a joyful noise unto God. We need to not be ashamed to say, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, or get excited about something that God has done for us. We're kind of quiet and reserved and kind of laid back, and that's okay. But if I sit over here and gave anybody here and check for a million dollars, I don't think you'd be sitting there saying, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. No, you'd be jumping up and down and screaming and hollering. Even me with my, my, all my metal parts would be jumping up and down and screaming, so I'm giving a million dollars. Hey, that'd be okay. So we need to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, there was a story about this medical missionary, and he served in a region, I think it was in India, that they had a, had a disease that was prevalent called progressive blindness. And um, this one doctor, who was a missionary physician, he found a cure for this to keep it from progressing to blindness. And so he went to this area, and he treated all these people that, that would come to him. So he, he did nothing but spend all his time doing surgeries and that so these people wouldn't get blind. Well, these people were really excited about not being blind. That's something to be excited about. But these people, in their language, they didn't have the word thank you in it. So instead of saying thank you, they said, I'll tell your name. I'll go tell your name. And that's what they did. 
everyone they went to. They would talk about, oh, this missionary over there, he gave me my sight. I'm not going to be blind because of him. Go see whatever his name was. I don't even know what his name was. Didn't say in that story I found. But that's what we need to do. We need to go tell his name. And we know the name of Jesus. We know his name. So we can go tell his name. So we need to be thankful and give, make a joyful noise unto God. The second command is in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Sometimes that's easy to do, and sometimes it's not so easy to do. I'm reminded of the story of the, the couple, and they were, the husband was laying in bed, and his wife's up getting ready to go, and uh, she says, Honey, it's t- you got to get up. we got to get to church. We're going to be late. He says, I'm not going. And he says, Well, you've got to get up and go to we're going to be late. He says, I am not going. I am tired of those people down there. All they do is fight and bicker and complain. And he says, I'm not going. And she says, well, you have to go. We're going to be late. He says, tell me why I should go. And he says, well, honey, you're the pastor. You have to go. (laughs) And sometimes there are those days that we have to go. We may not want to. We may not be serving with gladness. But God says, serve the Lord with gladness. He didn't say serve the church, although that's part of it. He didn't say, serve the neighbor. He didn't say, serve the preacher, serve the leaders. He said, serve the Lord with gladness. And if we can't do it unto the Lord, then we can't do it. And God wants us to serve for this is the way, the avenue and the venue that he has for us to serve. And I'm thankful that we have a church to serve in. I'm thankful that we have a church that we can reach out to a place and be able to lift up the name of Jesus and draw people to him. Because that's why we're here. If, we're not, if we don't want to go out and win the lost, if we don't want to do anything but, you know, sit here around singing my four and no more, attitude, just my four family, as long as we're saved, that's all that matters. But the Lord says, serve him with gladness. And the only way we can do that is if his love and his thing dwells in our hearts. And then when the closer we get to God, then he melts all those things and all those problems that we're having in our life. And all of a sudden, we can do things with gladness. And when you're doing it unto the Lord... It's amazing how your attitude towards something changes. You know, you can even clean toilets and be happy about it. You know, it's amazing what you can do when the gladness of the Lord fills your heart and you're doing it as unto the Lord. And everything, whether it's in the church, we have a tendency to think that the only thing that we do for the Lord is in the church, but it's not. Every time we go to our jobs, every time, whatever it is that we do, when we go shopping, we need to do that as unto the Lord. We need to do it with gladness so when people see us, they say, hey, there's something different about you. What is, what is different about you? Everybody else is so grumpy all the time, but I see you and you got a smile on your face. I see you and you're happy. What is it about you? Oh, it's not me, it's God. It's Jesus' love flowing through me. And he can put a smile on your face when there's nothing but a frown in, in, inside, when you're suffering and things going on. He's the one that can put a, a smile on our face and put happiness in our soul. And we can do that if we serve the Lord with gladness. And it isn't an option. He's saying it's a command. Serve the Lord with gladness. You're gonna, we're going to serve him? Let's do it with gladness. The third commandment is in verse 2. Sue. Come before him with a joyful singing. I must have left that last word out. Is a joyful singing? Joyful song. Okay. That word is, I missed that word. Unfortunately, it's important to the scripture. Come before him with joyful song. That's why it's important to sing music. 
Come before him with joyful song because there's something about music and when we sing it that just opens up our soul and our spirit to where God can dwell in and he can fill us. And I just love, oh man, I can sit home if I feel a little grumpy and in a bad mood, I'll put in a praise tape or something like that. And it's amazing, I'll sit there and I'll be a little bit upset and pretty soon I know I'm starting to sing a little bit and I'm starting to get a little, little whatever and pretty soon, I'm, pretty soon I'm happy and I'm clapping, I'm praising God because music has that power. The songs and the words in our spirit has power. And like I told them in Sunday school a few weeks ago, that music has a very unique thing. One side of the, of, in a song, the music affects one side of your brain, the words affect the other side of the brain. So when we're singing a song, we have our whole brain encompassed into that. And it just opens us up. And it's so powerful. That's why the devil uses it so much. You want to know how powerful it is? Just look in the world. Music is what they get kids to do. They get involved in music and they get all up in, up in this stuff and they're killing themselves and they're doing all kinds of things and all these gang-related things because of why? Because of this music. It gets in their soul and it makes them do things that normally they wouldn't do. Why? Because music is powerful. So it's powerful in our hearts too. And we need to utilize it. We need to get some good music. We need to sing choruses. And even if we don't feel like it, sing choruses or sing songs unto the Lord because he'll change our attitude. He'll change our heart if we let him. But a lot of times we're so mad, say, I don't care. I don't want to be, I don't want to feel better. I want to stay this way for a few more minutes and let me just waller in my self-pity here. <laughs> but that isn't God's will. Where he says to sing. Come before him with a joyful song. Serve with gladness and make a joyful noise. And they weren't Options, they were commands. Verse 3, the fourth command. Know that the Lord is God. Acknowledge, in the Good News Bible says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people. We are his flock. If people in, this, in our world today would just acknowledge God, our society would change. But people don't acknowledge God. And in Romans, the first chapter, it says they didn't want to acknowledge God in their lives. So therefore, God turned them over to the reprobate mind. Why? Because they didn't want to acknowledge God. And when you shut God out, the only thing that's left to come in is all the bad stuff and all the black stuff and all the darkness that is filling our, in our world today. And that's because people do not want to acknowledge God. If you acknowledge God, you're not going to be doing things that you, that you shouldn't be doing. Have you ever noticed people that just come to church once or twice a year, Christmas and Easter, we're going to have a big congregation next week, I mean next month, we look forward to that growth we're going to have for that one Sunday. <laughs> but if the pastor or somebody from the church goes over to visit them, man, they're uncomfortable, they're running around the house, oh, it's the pastor, hurry up, run, hide something, and they're out there trying to hide stuff, they're trying to throw the Bible on the coffee table or all kinds of different things, because they may not acknowledge him throughout the, the rest of life, but the pastor's here now, I've got to acknowledge God now. Because the pastor's here, and I want to show him that, hey, even though I haven't been coming to church, you know, I, I have a Bible here, and <laughs> a little bit of dust, but honest, I dust that yesterday. <laughs> but if we acknowledge God in our life, our life is going to be different. Because God is with us every place we go. We can't get away from God. And when we're acknowledging God, we understand that. So we're not going to be trying to sneak off and do something, because my mom and dad weren't there when I did a lot of things I shouldn't be doing, but God was always there. God seen everything that I did. And if there's a God to account to, all of a sudden he sees and he knows. 
But if we don't acknowledge him, we just shut him over in the corner and forget about it. And then we let darkness enter our lives. And we get the society that we're living in now. We have a nation that doesn't acknowledge God. How are we going to change our nation? If we get them to acknowledge God. Then it'll change. Then we wouldn't get all these primetime shows that show these, what are these, these what are, we always watch, uh, Designed to Sell, or all these shows like that. I don't know whether you ever watch those on HGTV. And all these people that are looking at house and remodeling. I mean, if you watch that show, you'd swear that everybody in our country are gay. Yeah. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Every week, it's just gay couples, gay couples. I guess they're the only ones that can afford to remodel. I don't really know. Or buy a house. I'm just amazed at this. And they make it look like everybody's like that. And the reality is there's only maybe 1%, maybe 1% of our population that is that way. And they just need to be saved just the same way as the adulterers need to be saved, the same way as the thieves need to be saved, the same way I needed to be saved when I got saved. There, you know, some sins are just a little more acceptable than others in our society. That's the reality of it. But if we don't acknowledge God in our life and in our homes, then there's only two avenues. You either acknowledge God, when you throw him out, you don't have to acknowledge the devil. He just beats in the door and comes in with all his darkness and all the things, whatever. So God wants us to acknowledge him in our lives. He said, you are the sheep. We are the sheep people. We are his flock. We are his flock. We don't like to be sheep. We want to be the shepherd. That's, that's a lot nicer. You know, sheep, we compared to sheep, sheep are dumb animals. They're the, one of the dumbest animals that ever, the God ever created. And I think he created it just so he can compare Christians to them. <laughs> So we don't like that. We want to be the shepherd. We want to be the one that's in charge. And, but we can't do that if we acknowledge God. Because if we acknowledge God's in our life, then God's in charge. And that's the reality of it. So God wants us to acknowledge, uh, acknowledge him in everything that we do. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. His pasture. We're in his pasture. Now there's no safer place to be than his, in his pasture. I don't care what you want to call me. If I'm in his pasture, hey, I'm okay with that. But I want to acknowledge God in every area of my life. Uh, well, I want to acknowledge him in what I read. I want to, I'll want acknowledge him in everything that I do. And give thanks for him giving it to me. Because life could be, I don't care how bad our lives are, they could be a lot worse. And the Lord tarries, we're going to find that out. But I have a confidence that we're going to have a revival in this nation. I believe that with all that's in me. And I believe that God's going to let have this one last thing going through our nation. He's going to save all those people that are there, and then we're going to be gone. That's my own personal opinion. I don't have a chapter and verse for that, but I believe that because he says the latter rain. We've had the former rain. We're waiting on the latter rain. And I believe in the latter rain, so I believe that, that day's coming. The fifth commandment is, of course, we sing all the time. And that's in 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithful con faithfulness continues through all generations. In the Old Testament, we know that they had the, you know, the tabernacle, especially with the Moses and that. They had that tent that they made and they carried it around with them. And no matter how, how much trouble it was, take that thing down or put it up, they, they did it. Because to them, it was a sign of God's presence. And so as long as that tabernacle was there, they had the confidence to know that God was there. That was the way they knew God's presence was there. Was, oh, God's here because I can see his tabernacle right there, so I know God's here. And so they would follow basically the presence of God. 
That's what we should do today, too, is follow the presence of God. But we don't need that tabernacle to follow anymore because the Old Testament temples are now the New Testament us. We are his sanctuaries. We are the temple of his dwelling place. This here we call a sanctuary because it's a place we meet with God. But the reality is this is the temple that God wants to dwell in. And if he dwells in every one of these temples in this area, that's what he wants. And we're supposed to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Why? It's easy. If you're thankful about something, then it just breaks down things. If you're not thankful, nothing happens. Like I said, there's nothing worse than an ungrateful kid. But if we come into God and start counting our blessings and remembering everything that God did for us, then all of a sudden the situations or the problems that we're going through, they don't seem as important to us. We say, you know, God, I'm thankful for the, for the last week when you answered that prayer. I didn't know how you was going to answer that prayer, but you did. And I was sitting here, started thinking about complaining about something, but now I remember you intervened there. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for this that happened. I'm thankful that my kids aren't on drugs. I'm thankful that well, I have a church to go to. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for all kinds of things. And you start recounting those things. And then we come into his house with thanksgiving and his courts. Because the next thing that happens after you're thankful and you start rendering things and then you start praising God for who he is. And God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we praise God, then God says, hey, I'm inhabiting those praises. And then his anointing and his power falls on our lives. But it's kind of the way you get in there. You have to get in there. You bring, come in with thanksgiving. You talk to God about all the things that he's done for you. And you start remembering and changing your attitude. And the natural response is thanksgiving. And then God's natural response is just pouring out his blessing and his power on you. And you can sense him. Because his love, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. His faithfulness is to all generations. It isn't just to, to the ones that was the 12 disciples and the, that little group that started from there. It isn't there. It's for my generation. It's for your generation. It's for our kids' generation. It's for every generation that we have till the Lord comes. And then when he sets his kingdom, it's going to be forever and ever and ever. Because his, his promises are without, he never takes them back. God, God's someone that keeps his word. We may not, but God keeps his word. Sometimes we think that, what if God treated us like we treat God sometimes? Have you ever thought about that? That's a scary thought. You know, what if God didn't answer my prayer today because I didn't thank him yesterday? Or I, didn't, or I asked for wrong things yesterday or, or whatever it may be. What if God met my needs the same way that uh, I want God to meet my needs. It's, you know, that's a scary thought. But if we start thinking things in that avenue, in that area, then we can say, thanks, God. Thank you, God, that you're not like me. Your promises are for eternity. The same. You don't change. And God's promises aren't, aren't determined by what I do. He has a covenant with me even if I don't keep up my half. He keeps up his. Usually if we enter in a contract in our society, if one person breaks the contract, you can sue that person and the contract's broken. But not, huh? God doesn't break the contract. We may break it, but God doesn't break his promises. He doesn't break his, his contract. Psalm uh, 103, verse 10 in, in the Message Bible says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Wow. 
I'm glad of that, aren't you? I'm glad he doesn't punish us according to our sins or our iniquities. But he's true. And this Thanksgiving, I want to be thankful. And I want to thank him for everything that he's done for me. And so when Thanksgiving comes around, remember to spend time and be thankful. I don't care how you do it. Start a new tradition like the old settlers did this morning. And take time to go around the table and be thankful. Because if we don't teach our kids how to be thankful, what are they going to grow up to be? They grow up to be expecting. Well, I should get that because I'm who I am. It's your privilege to give it to me. That's the society we live in. They expect all this stuff because of who I am. And so they grow up with these great big egos, and they don't want to work. They want to sit on their bums all day long and not do anything. And they want their hands out. Take care of me because I'm special. Don't you know who I am? I'm important. And that's the attitude we have without thankfulness. But if we're raised with thankfulness and we, and we are taught our families and our children thankfulness, then they will grow up to be thankful people. And we won't be selfish or we won't be all the things that we don't want to be. And then God, when we're thankful, then God's presence dwells in our heart. And his praises will spring forth. So this thanks.